So let's open our time in prayer. Father, thank you so much for just uh, everything that you do in our lives. Father, I'm just uh, stand utterly amazed at when we look at your handiwork and your hand. Um, Father, it, it, it never ceases to amaze me um, as I see just the um, residue of your fingerprints just all over my life. And uh, Father, I just thank you that even um, in the difficult times and in the good times, that you are always faithful and that you always um, um, accomplish your purposes um, and they are, they cannot be, that cannot be thwarted. Father, we tend to do that on, in our own lives just on a regular basis. And Father, we ask you for forgiveness. And Father, we thank you that you um, continue to pursue us with an everlasting love that um, continues to um, articulate in so many different ways and um, is your measurable goodness and your measurable kindness and your measurable mercy and love and grace. And Father, I just thank you that you have called each one of us to you and that you have brought us into your kingdom, that you have adopted us as children, that we are child, that we are sons and daughters of the living God, and that you are the one who um, redeems all of our bad choices in our lives to accomplish your purposes for our good and for your glory. And Father, I just can't help but be overwhelmed uh, at uh, just your hand in our lives. Father, there's... Individuals just even in this room at this time, Father, who struggle with what, where your hand has them at this point in time. Yet, Father, may um, our time together this morning encourage their souls. Father, may our time together this morning um, call us back to life of dependency. Um, may our time this morning call us back to um, remembering that your promises are true and, and, and that um, you are faithful in the midst of. And Father, I pray that as we uh, think um, deeply about um, just the remembrances that you've erected, whether we've chosen to remind ourselves of those or not in our lives, that you would call call our attention to your um, immeasurable um, faithfulness in the past. Father, as we think through those those times, may they be an ever-fortifying garrison for our souls in the present. And Father, may we um, be able to choose uh, to please you in the moment. Those um, areas that uh, you've called us into, that we are in now, and that we know that um, are yet to come in the future. Father, may we be found as men and women who are faithful and help um, please you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, good news this week. I, for, at least on my, my count, I, I was able to finish up this huge transaction at Motorola. So done with that and put, putting that behind me hopefully over the last, this week and next week. So um, I just attest to God's faithfulness through the last six months of really crazy hard time from the standpoint of work and amount of uh, focus that, that that took in order to get through it. So I just I give glory to God for his um, hand in that endeavor. So everything went well. We met uh, incredibly um, um, successful. If you call the success, three point five billion dollars in our bank account. So that's that's a good thing. <laughs> 
wish I just said one percent can go over here. It's no problem. <laughs> no, but God is good, and um, just I test what I test to is His um, strength um, and endurance that He 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 was able to allow me to do in the midst of those things. And so, so many times, I mean, this is just tough times in in business, and like. Uh, in the role I have, I have a unique opportunity to be able to be involved in lives, uh, talk about spiritual things, and be able to see what God's, um, where is God in all this, right? And like, what's He doing? And so, being able to come alongside people is just one of the greatest blessings I have in the middle of doing those things. So, um, praise the Lord for that. Um, well, we. Uh, um, we have been uh, looking at this whole area of pleasing God, which is the second part of our um, crystallizing our call. And uh, I, I, my goal is to finish this section up today and then uh, move into the third part of our uh, outline under crystallizing our call, which will really have to do with um, kind of reorienting our hearts. So we'll have talked through when we're all said and done in this Today's uh, section, uh, we'll have talked through um, 34 specific attributes of what it looks like to please God in our life and how that mirrored um, Hebrews 11 and the men and women of faith that, um, that God, in His sovereign will, put down on paper for us to have as a testament to say, like, how then should we follow them and live? And so um, that's where we're at. Um, uh, wanted to talk about um, finishing up uh, our learning, uh, our area of focus, which is to purposefully live for the pleasure of the king. So part of this really has to do with, um, I'll come back to this in a second, but our learning objective which is, you know, how can we please God? And so it's all about, first of all, confirming that um, we understand that without faith, uh, trusting God, um, it is impossible to please Him. And so if we don't exercise a decision of faith, then there's nothing in our lives, no matter what we do, that, that can please God. Like he says, that's, a, that's the essential ingredient of faith, and we look at the essential ingredients of faith, and so we'll finish up today looking at last uh, six or seven areas of of, of uh, ingredients of faith, um, looking into Hebrews 11, and then last but not least, we're going to look at what is the role of decisions in our life as they come to bear on on pleasing God. So that's kind of what what the last part of our time together will be. Um, due to time, I'm not going to spend a lot of time going over what we've covered so far. Um, at the end of our time today, today, just for ease of use, I will hand out this handout, which is those 34 specific ingredients of faith, what, faith, what, what um, walking by faith or pleasing God involves in our life. And so I, I have those on here for you to review. I, I personally look at this on a regular basis and and call myself to attention in each one of these areas to ask tough questions about where am I in each one of these areas. Um, so that's that. And uh, 
But I do want to get to the last uh, p- uh, picture on our hand in our um, outline uh, that um, at the end of our time together today as to the role of decision making. So uh, let me go back real quick. Um, some of the homework that we've been working on, just to remind you, uh, if you haven't been here, is to uh, kind of put everything aside and ask, ask a really difficult questions, which is, okay, if my life is going to count for eternity, and if I'm going to please God in my life, like, like if I were to be able to push myself forward to when um, I, I pass away, like what would I want people in my life to say about my life? And so we've been involved in writing our own funerals, We've been involved in like writing those things down, and most of the people in the room are about someplace between a quarter and three quarters uh, done with that. And so I encourage you to continue that through this next week. And we have another uh, part of our homework for this next week. We'll share it with you at the end of our time together today. But I really want you to try to consider, you know, trying to bring that a little bit more to conclusion uh, by this end of this next week, if you can. Um, if you have any questions about that, please call me or whatever. That'd be great. But uh, uh, what we all agreed last week, if you weren't here, that this is aspirational in nature. Like none of us, <laughs> whatever's written on that page, all of us are are are, are, are you know um, liars, <laughs> you know, and that you know we're all hypocrites, right? And that you know this is aspirational in our lives, and for the purpose of what? Asking ourselves the tough questions like, where am I in this quest to be have this be said about who I am? And, and, and somebody also brought up a great point, which when we got into this, like, it certainly begins to transform about halfway into the development of this from this is about me to this is about God. And that it's about who He is in my life, right? And so that's a very different um, eulogy. Um, and it calls attention to His glory, glory, not to my goodness. Does that make sense to everybody? Okay. So that's what that's about. Um, and we'll come back to that at the end. So in, in the handout that you have, uh, we, are, um, uh, we are starting on, uh, back up on page 7. So if you turn there with me and also turn in your Bibles to Hebrews 11, uh, we'll begin there. Hebrews 11, uh, verse 17, is where we left off. Hebrews 11, verse 17, is where we left off. So I, I, I shared with you 26 different, um, uh, over the last number of weeks, uh, uh, ingredients of, of what it means to please God. And some of those that we looked at were uh, here. assumes that God created all that is from nothing. Walking by faith of pleasing God involves uh, becoming fully persuaded. Um, it's born in sacrifice. involves a reward. I could go through these in detail, like I said. Um, Involves taking action. Involves um, uh, putting down tent pegs versus foundation stones in this world. Um, involves um, any putting putting in place um, a longer term perspective, an eternal perspective. Um, also uh, talks about leaning fully into and experiencing God's power. Um, talks about we're gonna. The next section after this week, we're going to get into this one here, which is um, walking by faith is all about stripping idols out of our lives. So what are idols? What are idols of the heart? And how do we um, bring, take those out of our lives? What's the process we go about doing that? It's all about transforming our first responses. Um, 
um, moves us beyond reason when God's word doesn't make sense. Look at verse 17. He says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, followed up, uh, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. And we said that Isaac probably had become an idol in, in Abraham's life. I mean, it was, it was the most important thing to him. Um, and he chose to um, follow God and offer up Isaac. I don't know about you, but that, that would be very difficult for me to do personally. Um, and so we also said it doesn't involve grumbling. Um, it, he, you didn't hear him going out to all the servants and say, you, you can't believe what God asked me to do you know, last night. Okay? And, and it also involved his first response. He says he got up early in the morning and he went to do this. It wasn't like as though he took a long time to think about it. He followed uh, God's, uh, God's call when he called. So that's kind of where we left off, and uh, I want to pick up there if we can. Okay? Everybody ready? All right. So the next one here is that we looked at just the very end of last week was that walking by faith or pleasing God involves erecting monuments. Erecting monuments to serve as memory joggers of God's past faithfulness in order to recall it in the future when needed. And these monuments are called what in the Bible? Ebenezer's. Kind of a weird word. Weird word. Ebenezer. Right? You know, and, and we looked at that, that, that uh, song, right? Be Thou My Vision. The second verse talks about, you know, here I raise my Ebenezer. So what's an Ebenezer then? Something to help you remember. In that time, it was a mound of stones that nobody could walk by without going, what in the world is this here for? Glad you asked. Let me tell you about what God did. Right? That makes sense? Yeah? So, one of your, uh, along with finishing your homework assignment up on on your funeral um, message, uh, the second uh, homework assignment for this next week will be the following question. Struggle... Think through in your life what would be your Ebenezer's? What would be your Ebenezer's? What does that mean? Means like if you had to testify to God's incredible attributes of, in your life that He's that He has done, like and you wrote those situations down on in writing, how, what would you say about God's character and that event that He that that Usually, an Ebenezer would be about what he did on your behalf, right? So you can go back and say, look what only God did in my life at this time. And therefore, it's, 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 a, it's a testimony of what? God's faithfulness, His grace, His love, His mercy, whatever the attribute is, you could, you could spend you know, three minutes or you could spend hours just talking about what... Look what God did in my life. That's what that would be. Does that make sense to everybody? And I want you to write it down. I want you to write it down, be prepared to share it with the class. Does that make sense? Talk about it, think about it, be ready to write it down. Okay? Make sense? Yep? Okay. So let's move on. Uh, faith, walking by faith, pleasing God involves making decisions today 
based on experiential knowledge of God's character that I've learned in the past. Experiential knowledge of God's character that I've learned in the past. Somebody want to read verse 19? Out loud. He considered that God is able from the dead, received him back in. So who is this? This is Isaac, right? To raise him from the dead. So what, what are we saying here? How did he come to that ability to, to conclude that or become fully persuaded about that, do you think? I mean, most people just don't go around saying, all of a sudden I know that God's going to raise my son from the dead. Okay, remembering? He promised him the son, which yep. he actually received. Okay. Now, you know, so he thought had something else. In store somehow? Okay. Other thoughts also? God spoke yep. Like yep. Part of who he was. Yeah. So God actually spoke to him and gave him promises of which he then put into action and he considered or he came to a full persuasion that he, as a result of God's promises, was going to make a decision. And that decision was to trust God. I mean, how many times in our lives do we know about God's promises but we choose not to trust His promises in the moment? Right? That's the, that's the essence of, of trust of faith, or trusting God. It's when we do do that, that God is pleased. That's how we please God. This is how He pleased God. This was such a specific um, request by God of Him that it like flies in the face of, of, of common sense. Um, yeah, Sam. Hmm. Was being exercised. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> Wow, that's awesome. How cool is that to know that God gets excited about when we please Him? (laughs) I mean, it only stands to reason if you're a parent either too, right? I mean, doesn't it? Yeah. So he says he considered that God is able to raise men from the dead. God is able to raise men from the dead. What an amazing thing. He's worthy of that trust. Um, This this verse, 2 Corinthians, uh, when we look at like the words he is able, um, it is a great little study in the scriptures um, to just like call those out and, and see what verses they are. I've la- I've laid down a few of them here for you, and we're not going to get into it in detail. But I encourage you to go back on each of these verses and bas- basically look at the context and say like like um, what what is it that God is able to do in this context, and then understand how all those fit together, and then see how big our God is. Okay, because like, let me just read them for you real quick due to time. And God is able to make all grace abound to you that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Well, what's he saying there? Just big picture. That God is what? Able to do what? Provide abundantly. Like more than we could ever think or, or imagine. Yeah, provide abundantly. So he's able to provide abundantly. Um, he says here in Hebrews 5 that he is able to save, God is able to save Christ from death, and that he chose not to. Think about this. The God of the universe could have, ch- could have changed the situation. Christ prayed that that would happen, and yet God said no. <laughs> It's one of the first times in the scriptures you're going to see like, like God said no. <laughs> you know, he didn't answer the prayer. Well, 
Um, he didn't answer it on purpose, right? Um, he answered it in his own sovereign will in order that people would be rescued and saved. Yeah. So, very much so. Um, another is that uh, Matthew 3, 9. And do you suppose that you say to yourselves, we, we have Abraham our father, for I say to you that God is able from these stones to raise up children to Abraham. God is able to provide. He can do whatever it takes to provide. Sam? You know what I did? I asked this, but it's like, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yep. Just like yeah. Bring that out. Amen. Amen. Like, like this is, and that's why he answered him that way, right? He said, like, he's, I'm not going to answer the, the way in which you'd like to see that, be realized, because there is no other way, um, to be have, to be saved. Um, another one is uh, Matthew 10:28. Do not fear those who kill the body, but and are unable to kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. So God is the one who has the ability to, to, um, to, to judge eternally and therefore provide um, a, a, a for a person to be able to be destined to hell or not destined to hell. And he's, he's the one that has the capability to do that. He is able only to do that. No one else can do that. Um, Ephesians 3, 20 and 21, love this verse. Now unto him who is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than we could ever ask or think, both now and in the church, in Christ Jesus, to all generations, forever and ever, to him be the glory, right? So, um, amazingly more than we could ever ask or think. Um, 2 Timothy 1, 1, 12, I am not, for I am uh, not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard the trust that I have, uh, guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. That's basically saying that this whole living hope I have, I've fully given it to him because he's more than able to make it happen and bring it into reality. Like it's like I, I it's him doing it, not me. I'm, I'm entrusting it all to him, and he's faithful to do it. Um, if you would, another is. Uh, Romans 16, 25-27, Now to him who is able to establish you according to my gospel and the preaching of Jesus Christ. So he's able to establish us. He's able to put, a, put us down and put roots in place so that we don't move. And, and, and it says here at the end, um, uh, leading to obedience and faith and the only wise God through Jesus Christ be glory forever. Amen. One of the things that you'll really understand as you go through these kind of verses together is is like they all start coming back up to the glory of God and how incredible He is as a result of, of, of his, the declaration of His ability, His omnipotence, if you would, on, on uh, uh, being shown in these verses. Um, last one I wanted to show you with was Jude 1, 24 and 25. One of my favorite passages. And he says, Now to Him who is able to keep you, me, from stumbling, and to be able to present us before um, His glory. What? Blameless with great joy. Blameless with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory and honor and majesty and dominion and authority before all time, both now and forevermore. Amen. Amen. So, He, he is able. So that's really a, just a key component of the construct that we've been talking through here of um, why we trust God. It's because He is the only one that's able. Um, so 
with that, I want to talk a little bit more about Hebrews 11:23 through 29. Um, so would somebody read these verses for us? It's about Moses, 23 through 29. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Choose rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasure. Considering the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt, for him to the reward. I left Egypt, not the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was on faith. He kept the Passover and the spring blood, so that he would, by faith, they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. And the There's so much in here. We could spend a few times talking about it, but um, l- let me talk about. Uh, the framework first. And the framework is that decisions have consequences. Decisions have consequences in our lives. Um, I want to look at uh, Moses at the end of his days. Let's turn to Deuteronomy chapter 30. Deuteronomy in the Old Testament chapter 30, verse 19. Deuteronomy 30, verse 19. Moses stands, having taken the children of Israel through the wilderness, and they're standing at the edge of going into the promised land. And uh, God had just finished um, sharing with them the whole Palestinian covenant, which is a conditional covenant. And he gets to verse 15 and 16. He says the following, Deuteronomy 30, 15 and 16. He says, See, I have set... Before you today, life and prosperity and death and adversity, in that I command you today to love the Lord your God, to walk in His ways and to keep His commandments and His statutes and His judgments. Why? That you may live and multiply and that the Lord may possess, may bless you in the land which you are entering to possess it. Verse, 20, verse 19. I have set before you life and death, and I call heaven and earth to witness to, against you today. The blessing and the curse, so that... So choose life in order that you may live, you and your descendants, by loving the Lord your God, by obeying His voice, by holding fast to Him. For this is your life and the length of your days, that you may live in the land which the Lord swore to your fathers, to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, to give them. Set before you today, choose life, blessing, or death, curse. And the, the point here is that there's really only two outcomes in our, in our choices. Two outcomes in our choices. According to... According to uh, Moses here, it's, it's life and death. Now, we talk about death being experiential death from, coming from the outcomes of our choices in our lives. So there's life-choosing decisions and there's death-choosing decisions. But there are only two, and they end up someplace at the end of that, that road in what he says being life and death. So that's the end of Moses' life. Let's turn to the end of Joshua's life. Joshua... Chapter 24, Joshua 24, right at the end of Joshua's life also, um, we're in the last last, uh, chapter of Joshua, Um, if you'll see um, before this, um, chapter 24, verse 1, he says that he gathered all the tribes of of Israel to Shechem. Called all the Israels and their heads and their judges and their officers before the, and presented themselves before God, um, and He says, uh, "Let's go and look at uh, verse 14 of Joshua 24." He says, 
Now therefore fear the Lord and serve Him in sincerity and truth and put away the gods which your fathers served before the river and in Egypt and before the Lord. Verse 15, And if it is disagreeable in your sight to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves today whom you, you will serve. That's a great, great um, call to a decision. Choose today whom you want to serve. Very simple. Um, verse, into verse 15, he says, But as for me and my house, what? We will serve the Lord. So he doesn't leave it open from his perspective. He says, he calls them to a, calls them to a decision. And he says, let me tell you, I've made that decision. And I'm here to tell you I'm going to serve the Lord and my house household. And the, verse 16, the people answered and said, Far be it from us that we should forsake the Lord to serve other gods. This is after 40 years of spiritual adultery. <laughs> that they had brought idols from Egypt. And they had still them in their possession. And they still were going after other gods. And they, the, the people say this. And then Joshua, verse 19, he's like, No, you don't get it. Okay? Um, you will not be able to serve the Lord, i.e., on your own merits or on your own strength. Okay, He says, For He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your transgressions or your sins. Verse 21, No, but we will serve the Lord. And Joshua said to the people, You are witnesses against yourselves. You have chosen for yourselves the Lord to serve Him. The people said, We are witnesses. And then he gives the ultimatum. And this is where this, this today's class is going to bridge to next couple classes, which is, he says this, Now therefore, put away the foreign gods in your midst. Put away the idols of your heart. Because it's your idols of your heart that are keeping you from intimacy with God. That's the point. He says, choose today who you will serve. That, that's a decision for all of, each one of us in this room. Like, who will we serve in our lives? And so, he says, choose this day who you will serve. Let's look at 1 Kings 18.21, another situation where the similar kind of call to a conclusion is given here. 1 Kings 18.21. 1 Kings 18.21. And uh, the setting, if you remember, was uh, uh, the... Prophets of Baal at Mount Carmel, right? And um, Elijah here is um, is uh, calling them all to this huge valley. The Israelites on one side, and the I mean the prophets of Baal on one side. The people there, so everybody there would be no. This thing wasn't done in a vacuum or behind closed doors. It's going to be done in the open. It's going to be done, in, 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 you know. It, you know, with everybody watching. And so, you all know the story. He, you know, the prophets of Baal 400, you know, or whatever it was, like, like, you know, try to get the fire to come down, and they, uh, they aren't able to. They cut themselves to do all this stuff, right? Um, but, but uh, before um, Elijah acts, he says this in verse 21. Uh, would somebody read that out loud? How long will you hesitate? Lord is God. Follow him. But if Baal, follow, follow him. 
Verse 38, the fire from the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water which was in the trench. Verse 39, and the people saw it, they fell on their faces and they said, the Lord, he is God, the Lord, he is God. Public display of the glory of God um, right in front of everybody. Um, so, question here is decisions, or the point here is that decisions, not circumstances, determine the following things. Decisions, not circumstances, determine the following things. First of all, the course of our lives. The course of our lives. <sighs> I've counseled many people who, determine, who, who, who think that the course of their lives is determined by their circumstances. That they are victims to that end. Um, the scriptures scream that that is not true. And that God actually uses circumstances to create who, people who are redeemed. And so um, our decisions create uh, determine the course of our lives. Second, the, our decisions, not circumstances, determine the quality of our lives. The quality of our lives. He says... Um, we can experience life, life abundantly, or we can experience the outcome of the sin patterns of our life, which is death. He says they stand in stark contrast, but choose this day which one you want to choose or experience. Third is the decisions of our lives, not circumstances, determine what pleases God. What pleases God. What pleases God. Fourth, Decisions, not circumstances, determine the evidence of our faith, our spiritual growth and maturity. Our spiritual growth and maturity. Spiritual growth and maturity. But most importantly, the last one, decisions, not circumstances, determine the level of our intimacy with the Almighty. The level of our intimacy with the Almighty. Um, the last thing I wanted you to note here is that decisions determine our destiny. Decisions determine our destiny. And it's like, you know, how we choose in our lives is going to have immeasurable implications. And, and uh, uh, um, as a result, uh, therefore, life or death, if you would. Well, I want to look back at um, Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verse 23. And I want to look at these uh, seven different um, areas of decisions of faith from Moses. In verse 23, he says, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months um, by his parents because they saw that he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By the way, it's it's, it's a fascinating study, not on on today's watch, but what it means by they they, they saw him as a beautiful child. It's, It's just not like, you know happened to be theirs, and therefore it was beautiful. It has other implications. But uh, anyway, um, so the, let's take a look at these. For the first one that I want to look at here in this verse is that um, decisions of faith, that faith risks everything to be faithful. Faith risks everything to be faithful. Notice here that they, um, the, the Pharaoh was killing all the, all the babies under this age. And they came to a place at three months that they had to let him go. And they put him onto the Nile River and put him out there in this basket, not knowing what was going to happen or anything. You know, I think of that, um, 
You know how you know how you catch a monkey. You all know how to catch a monkey. No, you don't know how to catch a monkey. Is that how you catch a monkey? You, 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 you. With a banana, it's pretty close. Um, you uh, you put something the a banana or something the monkey really wants in a jar with a kind of a, a tighter uh, neck, and then the monkey goes and puts his hand in, grabs it. But once it's, it's grabbed it, the the wrist the 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 wrist won't come, his wrist won't come out. It keeps holding on to it, no matter whether you come right up to it or not. And so then you just come right up to it, and you have yourself a monkey. <laughs> well, the, the, the issue there is what? Is that he's grabbing onto something and will not let it go. And that's just the opposite of, of what faith does. Faith risks everything. Faith lets it go. How does faith have the ability to be able to let it go? How did... Um, Miriam have the ability to be able to push her child out into the Nile and let him go. How? Yeah. Released it to God. Why could she release it to God, him to God? Because she had found him utterly faithful in the past. That's the only way she could have let him go. So God prepares us for the bigger things in our life by, by, by choosing to develop those things before we need them, he would. So faith risks everything to be faithful. Verse 24. Verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he grew up, when he had grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Faith rejects the world's prestige, position, and power. Does anybody know how old he was when this happened? He was 40 years old. Had the sign of an adult. Okay? 40 years old. And he says that he, he um, turned his back. When he had grown up, he refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. What did it mean when you chose to refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter? What was that in essence saying? Power is prestige and what the world would see as. Very much so. He's, he's, um, these small decisions in his life had led him up to the point where he's going to make this big decision that had immeasurable implications. Um, and he was able to uh, discern all the things going on in his life and kind of cut through the clutter to make the big decision. And the big decision was he wanted to please God no matter what. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Kim. Yeah. And... I think it's so important. He says, like, choosing to be... He says... uh, We're going to get to that in the next one. Choosing the ill treatment with the people of God. So we'll talk about that in a second. But one of the things I wanted to bring out on this particular one, it's, it's kind of woven behind, and you have to go to Genesis and other places to see it. But who was involved in his life helping him as he grew up? Anybody know? His mom. His mom. Yeah. Yeah. And so here's, here's the point. Do not underestimate the power of a, of a loving mother. Do not underestimate that. Because I tell you, Moses would not have been who he was without, without his mother being involved in his life. And um, that power gave him the ability to cut through the clutter, have discernment, 
um, make the big decisions of value proposition in his life. So his mother had built into him what mattered most. And when, it was, when the time was needed to call on that, he called on that to make the right decision. So steady on mothers in this room who, who sometimes wonder if, if it's really worth it. Um, yeah. Oh. Amen. Yeah. How crazy was that, you know? Amen. Amen. The third one here is sufficiency and salvation is that faith rejects the world's pleasures. Faith rejects the world's pleasures. Verse 25 reads, choosing rather to endure ill treatment with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. The point here is that, back to what you just said earlier, is like, who is he going to align himself with? He'd rather align himself with the people of God. Do not underestimate the power of the people of God in community. It is immeasurably powerful to push against sin um, in our lives. And so... um, the way he was able to do that is, is he was able to understand how the scriptures characterize the world's things. He calls them what? First of all, he calls them the passing pleasures of sin. What, what, what significance is there in passing? What does that mean? It's not going to last. It's not eternal. It's not going to be substantive when it's all said and done. It's like, here today, gone tomorrow. It's not going to last. Secondly, he, he, he says, the passing pleasures of sin. The word pleasures has everything to do with the fact that it, it's, it's, it's enjoying. It's, joy, it's, it's, it's allowing you to enjoy it. But his point is that it's going to pass. And when we think about pleasures, there's consequences. And he talks about this life versus death. Life versus death. And so, that's what sin does. It says that the outcome of every time we sin is death. It's just like death. Death follows. 100%. Not 90%. Not 75%. 100% follows when we sin. Um, and the other thing too here, from a, from a pleasure perspective, one would pursue pleasures if they think it's going to satisfy. I mean, that makes sense to me. Um, but that's... But that's what the adversary screams at us, right? That's the lie. Is that the pleasures of sin will satisfy you. The pleasures of sin, we find out, never satisfy you. And so therefore, it's like salt water. You can drink it all, as much as you want, but it's not going to fulfill you. It's not going to satisfy your soul. He talks about having a God home. Amen. Amen. I I attest to that for sure. Um, so that's what that's what Moses said. Is he? I get it. He says, "I'm going to make the. I'm. You, you want to make decisions that matter most." He says, "I know. Deci- I know the outcomes of decisions that matter most. The value proposition is not what I can see. The value proposition is what I cannot see." He says, "That's eternal, not what I can see here." And, and so he goes on here, verse twenty-six. Um, 
decisions of faith rejects the world's plenty. The world's plenty. He says, considering the reproach of Christ, greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. For he was looking to the reward. Looking to the reward. Says, reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of Egypt. There was no more, there, there was nobody other than Pharaoh in that kingdom and therefore in that world at that time who had more money than, than, than Moses did. No one. So he says, like, I'm going to forfeit this for that. That's a pretty amazing decision. But what what allowed him to make that call? What allowed him to make that call? The eternal perspective. He says, I'm going to give up, he calls it the treasures of Egypt for, quote, the reward. The reward. So he saw this as like a, a thing yet to be grasped and yet to come, but far greater than. Does that make sense? Like he had made that decision in his heart. Um, and so he desired to please God no matter what um, it was. The only way you can make this decision is to understand the, the, the supremacy of the value of the person of Christ. To make that call in your life. To be able to say it's, he's worth everything. And that's what the writer of Hebrews is screaming out here. He says, like, like Christ is worth it. He's worth it all. doesn't matter what it is. Your house, your home... Your friends, your um, family, you know, um, uh, your position, your power, your your plenty. He says, Christ is worth more. Christ is worth it all. Any other thoughts on that, Dave? Yes. Yeah. Placed it there, right? <laughs> seeing one of them suffer wrong, the defendant avenged Egyptian, and the brethren would have understood that would deliver them. God had a really had purpose. Mm. Amen. But it says they did not understand. <laughs> they, didn't, they didn't get it. Yeah. Even when the circumstances right there didn't 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 pan out. Yeah. Any other thoughts on that one? What's fascinating here is he says. Um, uh, that it's uh, of greater reward, uh, more, imp- more, more valuable than, if you would. Well, next one is verse 27. It, faith rejects the world's pressure and politics. Faith rejects the world's pressure and politics. He says, um, By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who was unseen. One of my most favorite verses in the Bible. Um, world's pressure and world's politics. Um, I put here, um, in order for him to do that, he had to cultivate a high fear of God, a fear of God or a high view of God. That's what, that's the only, when we see the unseen, I think of Isaiah, you know, in Isaiah 6, he's like, my eyes have seen the glory of the Lord. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm all His. I'm, I'm in. Like, doesn't matter what it is. I, I'll follow Him. You know, and, and so it's it's having seen the glory of the Lord. I, I I believe that that's what he means when he says he's he's seen him who is unseen. That's the that's the ticket. That's the ticket that Moses punches in order to make the right decision in his life here. Um, and when I think about this, you know, 
Psalm 27.1, I won't turn there, but he says, Whom shall I fear? Whom shall I fear? I'm not going to fear the, you know, and, and you know that song, like, Whom shall I fear, right? It's a great song, right? Well, in order to, to make those decisions, I have to see the unseen and have a high view of God. Notice also here in verse 27, he says uh, that he, he uh, left Egypt. Le- the way the words are, are put together, it's not what most of us have always thought. When you think about Moses leaving Egypt, what's the picture you get? He ran away scared because of having killed the Egyptian, right? That's not what this word means. Then he would have said he fleed Egypt, right? This word is really one that speaks uh, of his coming to an uncompromising position and, and choosing of his own to leave. Not because he was you know, pursued or, or, or fleed you know, people after. He like said, I've had enough of all this. I'm making a decision. This is not worthwhile in my life. I'm, and I'm, I'm going. I'm going away out of my own volition. So it is like this um, renouncing, kind of, you know, choosing to like turn this off because it has no more value in my life. Um, I thought that was pretty fascinating of a thing. 28 says, faith accepts God's provision. Faith accepts God's provision. He says, By faith he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of the blood so that he who destroyed the firstborn might not touch them. Faith accepts God's provision. point here is like, Moses was will, uh, uh, was will and the children of Israel were willing to be foolish. Like, putting blood around your doorstep. Like, you know, people stand back and go, like, like Really? Like, really? Like, what, what's that all about? I can just hear it, right? You hear all the Egyptians seeing them doing this. Like, you guys are crazy. What, what is that about? I mean, it just speaks to be foolish. And yet, um, th- that is God's provision. The blood of the animal became the, 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 the type of the blood of Christ. And that it was that blood of Christ that was going to rescue them. Um, and they stepped out in timely obedience here. Timely obedience. You know, this was the tenth plague, and it was the plague that pushed Pharaoh and everyone over the over over the over the uh, hurdle. Right? Uh, it was this plague that, that that caused them to allow him to leave. And so, you know, I think about God's provision throughout the Old Testament. You can think of many situations, right? That it was like confounded the wise. Gideon, who would have thought that 300 and some men are going to like take this whole army on? Like, who would have thought? But God provided. Think of Naaman and Elijah. It says, go and wash yourself to get free of the leprosy. Stupid decision. Anybody else think that? <laughs> so he went and did it. And God provided. Think of Jericho. Like, put the band up front. Okay, let's walk around the city. Hello? Anybody else think this is a little silly? God provided. I mean, just go on and on. Goliath. Like, uh, these stones? Um, Anybody else want to go after him? No, this little kid? Want some armor? No, no, don't want armor. Just a couple stones. Foolishness. Foolishness. That God provided. On and on and on and on again. 
Um, let me tell you, what's foolish is the cross. What's foolish is the cross. I was reading this morning in, in, in uh, Paul Tripp's book. He says, The cross of Jesus Christ stands as beacon as hope to the world gone bad. Life, hope, forgiveness, and change are really, 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 really possible. The cross doesn't stand stained with the blood of Christ in the darkness of moral defeat. It is not the sad symbol of a plan gone wrong. It doesn't preach that the good gets smashed at evil's hands. It doesn't suck salvation's hope out of those who would believe. The cross isn't the grand symbol of redemption's embarrassment. The cross shouldn't make you ashamed. No, it should stand as the epicenter of your boasting. Hear the words of the Apostle Paul. Far better be it for me to boast except for in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. In a sin-scarred world, there, are really, there, aren't, there really aren't many things worth boasting about. As sinners, rescued from ourselves by powerful grace, we don't have many valid reasons for puffing out our chests. We're all, the more, we're, all the, we're all more case studies of mercy than heroes of grace. The world around us groans under the weight of its fallenness. The history of humanity would be a sick and dreary story if it weren't for the rough-hewn tree of death on the hill of Golgotha. It was like an er unlikely place for a scene of history-changing triumph. The place where they executed criminals seemed to be the last place to go to find hope. Really? The scene where they killed the the world's only innocent man doesn't seem to be the place that excites celebration. But such is the paradox of grace. Death is the doorway to life. Hopelessness is the, entrance to, is the entrance to hope. Weakness is the place to find strength. Injustice is where mercy flows. Life comes to those who deserve death. Defeat is actually a victory. The end is only really a beginning. Out of sorrow comes eternal celebration. The tomb is the place where new life begins. The impossible paradoxes of redemption become the regular moves of transforming grace. Hope is sung to suffering's tune. Life is played on death's instruments. Grace doesn't play by the law's score. God composes hope from tragedy's notes. So we look at Calvary and we don't sing a dirge. We sing a a song of incredible triumph and celebration of hope and salvation. Satan's players have have not been able to drown out salvation's songs. The song of hope by the company of the redeemed will never, never, ever, ever, ever end. They grow in volume. They grow in celebration. They grow in glory. The cross is the subject of those songs. And its life-giving mercy is the chorus. It is the song of Jesus Christ that gives you reason to hope, to sing, to celebrate, and live. It was never the interruption of God's saving plan. It is only the essential means of it. It was never a defeat. It always was, always is and always will be the most victorious song of the redeemed for the ages. Amen. In closing, just last one here. We won't get to the picture. (laughs) Is uh, faith accepts God's promises. Faith accepts God's promises. Faith accepts God's promises. He says here, um, By faith they passed through the Red Sea as though they were passing through dry land. The Egyptians, when they attempted it, were drowned. Turn with me in closing to Exodus 14, 1, 11. Exodus 14, 11. Exodus 14, 11. Would somebody read verses 11 through 14 in closing? They said to Moses, Is it because there were no graves in Egypt that you have taken us away to die in the wilderness? Why have you dealt with us in this way, bringing us out of Egypt? 
this not the word that we spoke to in Egypt, saying, Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than to die in the wilderness. But Moses said to the people, Do not fear. Stand by and see the salvation of the Lord, which he will accomplish for you today. For the Egyptians whom you have seen today, you will never see them again forever. The Lord will fight for you while you keep silent. Let me tell you, faith is most tested in our lives when there are no answers. Faith is most tested in our lives when we have no answers. Because God shows up. And He is glorious beyond all telling. And so, when we think about this, I don't know about you, but I put myself in their shoes. Like, I'm sitting there like, like this is my last meal. Last meal. You know, the Egyptians are coming. But what they don't see and understand is that the Israelites have a God who's glorious and He's going to fight for them. They just have to stand and watch. You know, and I think about our own lives. You know, how many of us need, a, need our God to stand to, and fight for us in the middle of what we're going through? I suggest He's more than able. He is able. He will do it. We just need to trust Him for the outcome. Any other thoughts in closing? We'll pick this up here, and then we'll also transition into our next section on idols of the heart next time. Uh, Connie, would you close in prayer? God, we just thank you for the fight upon that name and that you backing us from there. Go before us as we go through. Amen. Have a great day. Thank you, everybody.